Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would give us life this morning according to your word. Teach us your statutes. Lord, make us to understand the way of your precepts as we meditate on your wondrous works. Strengthen us according to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bible to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. While you turn there, I don't know about you, but I don't often think about the complete necessity of the sun to my life. The sun, as in that big thing in the sky. Don't think about very often how important it is, how critical it is to me. Um, I, don't, I like to watch the sunrise. I watch the sunrise on most days because it's just outside my study window. And I don't often think, oh man, without this, there's no me. But that's exactly the case. If there was no sun, there would be no earth as we know it. There would be no life as we know it. There would be no life at all, actually. So imagine with me for a moment, if the sun went out, if it disappeared, what's the first thing you think you would notice? Darkness, right? Darkness. After about nine minutes, it takes eight and a half minutes for the light of the sun to get to earth. After about nine minutes, the whole earth would become dark. If it was already night where you are, the moon would disappear because the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It just reflects the sun's light. And the same goes for the planets that we see in the sky. They are reflecting the sun's light. Besides darkness, what else would happen without the sun? It would be cold. It would be cold. It would take us only a few minutes to feel the temperature begin to drop. I mean, this happens every night. We, we can experience some of it. This wouldn't make the world unlivable right away. But after about a week, the average global surface temperature would go from 57 degrees Fahrenheit to zero degrees Fahrenheit freezing cold, but we could survive in zero degrees. The problem is that the temperature would keep dropping from there. Within a couple months, the oceans would freeze over, and within a year, we would be at minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit, the average global surface temperature. Eventually, the temperature on Earth would drop to about negative 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Besides the cold and the dark, without the sun, all the plants would die, and everything that relies on plants for food would also die, including you and me. Without the sun, life on earth is simply impossible. And that's the case whether or not we ever think about it. The sun makes all the difference for life on earth. And just like the difference that the sun makes for us, these first several chapters of Proverbs are an extended argument for the vital importance of wisdom. If we want to truly live, then we must get wisdom. Because where we find wisdom, there we will find grace. There we, we will see God. Wisdom makes all the difference. These chapters are imploring us. They're calling on us to learn wisdom. And today the father instructing his son wants him to know that the difference, wants him to know the difference that wisdom makes for life, for creation, for our future, and for our relationships. So let us look to God's Word together as we navigate our text considering these four simple points. So first, the difference wisdom makes for life. The difference wisdom makes for life. This is verses 13 through 18. 
So if you have your Bible, please, please look at it. Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the Word of God. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. God's word is such a gift to us. Now this section of six verses that we just read, it opens and closes with the same word. You see that? First word, blessed. Last word, blessed. Now what does it mean to be blessed? What do we even mean when we say this word? This is one of those words that's used all the time but, but seldom understood. So when someone sneezes, what do you hear somebody say? Bless you. You might close an email with blessings. A social media post might end with hashtag blessed. What's the point? Is something supposed to happen when we say these things? We encounter this word and this concept all over Scripture. It's here in our text in Proverbs. We see it in Psalm 1, in Psalm 119. We hear it in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. Now, biblically, to be blessed is not just to be spared from bad things or to get good things. Like, I got everything on my Christmas list. Hashtag blessed. That's not what it means to be blessed. It's, it's far broader, encompasses far more than stuff or even how we feel. To be blessed is to flourish in life. To flourish in life. We just recently, I uh, dug out a new bed in our backyard and we planted, I, don't, I can't even remember what kind of grass we planted, some f- flowering, I mean flowing grass, whatever. Something called, what's it called? Uh, I don't know, monkey grass, I don't know, some fountain grass, fountain grass. We planted some fountain grass and I just looked at it yesterday and I've got three of them. One of them is flourishing. It's vibrant, it's a rich green color, it's like twice as tall as when I got it. The one immediately next to it is dying. Perhaps it's because I didn't water it. But it's dying and it's not flourishing. It's a very clear picture. Oh, this is what it means to flourish. This is what it means not to flourish. When we have wisdom, we flourish. It's to have a good life, a full life. One commentator paraphrases this idea of being blessed as being happy, prospering on the path to true fulfillment. It's to experience life exactly as God intends it to be. It's a good place to be. So to receive God's blessing is to receive God's favor. It's what John was talking about last week. It's receiving God's grace. Remember the title of the sermon, Finding Grace. The blessed life is the grace-filled life. And Proverbs tells us that when one finds wisdom, they are blessed. When one obtains and accepts wisdom, they are blessed, flourishing, fulfilled. Blessing isn't what comes through ingenuity or hard work or luck. It's not just being in the right place at the right time. 
Blessing comes through trusting the Lord, through accepting His instruction, through walking in obedience to His ways, to what He says. This is wisdom. And as John said last week, he stated so well, wisdom is not the goal. Wisdom is what brings us in harmony to live with how God has ordered the world. It positions us to receive God's grace. That's what wisdom does. Positions us to receive God's favor, to be blessed. Verses 14 and 15, they go on to describe the great value of wisdom. It says it's better than, wisdom is better than the gain that we get from silver, the gain that we get from gold. Verse 15, wisdom is more precious than jewels. There is nothing that you could ever want that can compare with wisdom. That's what verse 15 says. Nothing that you could ever want that can compare with wisdom. The argument is straightforward. It's not saying that profit from gold and silver is bad. Not saying that money and wealth are bad, that valuable things are bad, or that it's bad to desire anything. Desire is not the problem. It's what we desire that is at stake. And to desire wisdom is far, far better than desiring anything else. So think of anything that you want, anything that you desire, anything that comes to mind, a home, a car, a vacation, a horse or a dog, a bike, anything, anything that you might desire. These all can be good things, but none of these things even compares to wisdom. Why? Why is it no comparison to wisdom? Well, look at how our next verses speak of the difference that wisdom makes for life. Verse 16 shows us this picture of what wisdom holds in her hands. In her right hand, she holds long life, which sounds great, but long life in misery is not so great. So in her left hand, she holds riches and honor. Long life, riches and honor. This verse is saying that if you want these things, if you want long life, riches and honor, then get wisdom. Don't aim for those things, pursue wisdom, for she holds these things in her hands. But there's more. She doesn't just hold good things. Wisdom also does good things. Her ways are pleasant. Her paths are peace. And throughout Proverbs, especially beginning in chapter 10 and on, Proverbs is talking about these ways that are pleasant, these paths that are peace. Wisdom leads to a blessed life, a flourishing life, a life positioned to receive God's grace where he makes us lie down in green pastures, where he leads us beside still waters. And then in verse 18, there's this remarkable climax where wisdom is described as a tree of life, a tree of life to those who grab onto her. Now, if you're acquainted with the story of the Bible, that phrase, a tree of life, should ring a bell for you. It points us back to the tree that man had access to in the Garden of Eden. It's the tree that's mentioned in Genesis 2.9. The tree that represents the gift of an eternal and healthy and flourishing life. Adam and Eve could eat from this tree and every tree in the garden, except for one. 
the tree that represented wisdom apart from God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it was this tree that Adam and Eve did eat from, bringing sin and death into the world. And so what happened? They were sent out of the garden so that they could not eat from the tree of life. They had no access to the tree of life. God drove them out and away because of their sin. But here in Proverbs 3, verse 18, God is saying that wisdom, God's wisdom, is the path back to that tree of life. In a sense, Proverbs represents that tree. And to read it and to know it is to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. That's how we lay hold of this tree. It's through the humility and trust, the humble dependence that looks to God and obeys God that John talked about last week, the fear of the Lord that positions us to receive God's grace, that enables us to lay hold of the tree of life. For us today, this does not mean that we place our hope in walking according to Proverbs. We place our hope always and only in Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Solomon, the one who is the wisdom of God. But we also do not throw away the wisdom of Proverbs. If you have a $5 bill in your pocket and you walk up and you see a $20 bill, you don't take out the $5 bill and throw it away and pick up the $20 bill and be like, I'm good. No, you hold on to both of them, right? The same is true of the wisdom of Proverbs. The wisdom that God gives us in Proverbs is for our good, for our flourishing. And it makes all the difference for our life. Because without wisdom, there is no true life. So brothers and sisters, let us walk in wisdom. Now it seems that when Proverbs mentions the tree of life, that the the Father's mind is drawn back to creation. And even there, he sees the difference that wisdom makes. This is our our second heading, the difference wisdom makes for creation. Verses 19 and 20. Read with me. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Verse 20. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Now we're going to spend more time on the topic of creation and wisdom in Proverbs 8. But I want us to notice a couple simple points in answer to this question. What difference does wisdom make for creation? First, wisdom establishes creation. Wisdom establishes creation. Genesis 1-2 actually tells us what creation is like without wisdom. It describes how the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's creation without wisdom. To be without form is to be without definition. So if you were there, you really couldn't say anything about what was there. It was void, nothingness. One theologian writes how there is nothing big or small, left or right, before or after, good or bad, light or heavy, far or near, warm or cold, minimal or complex, serious or funny, bright or dim, just a formless and empty earth and a dark deep. 
What makes the difference? Wisdom. The wisdom of God speaks into this nothingness and establishes the cosmos. He brings order to chaos, stability out of volatility, permanence out of void, the heavens out of darkness. He does all of this with wisdom. Now, if God's wisdom can do all of that, think about what His wisdom can do in our lives. After considering what God's wisdom has done in the past in creation, verse 20 considers what God's wisdom does now in creation. What difference does wisdom make in creation? We first saw how wisdom establishes creation. Second, wisdom sustains creation. God does this through the life-giving waters that He brings. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Now, have you considered the wisdom of God in rainfall? I read a pastor once used this illustration. Now, imagine that I'm a farmer in the Near East. I don't live close to any rivers or lakes, any bodies of water. And my family and animals, we, we survive on a few wells that are dug down deep into the ground from which we draw water. But we also have crops. And the water from these wells is not really enough, or it's too hard to draw up to keep our crops flourishing. Water has to come from somewhere else. So I ask, where will it come from? Wisdom answers, the sky. I look up, the sky, the water that I need is going to come from the sky. The water that I get right now from the ground it will really come from the sky? Really? But how? And wisdom says, well, water will be carried from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then poured out from the sky onto your fields. That sounds great. Wait, but hold on. This water has to be carried several hundred miles from there to my field? That's kind of crazy. I, like I carry, when I draw water out of the well, I carry a couple buckets. They're pretty heavy. I'm pretty strong. Not a big deal, but they're heavy. I need a lot of water to water my crops. How will this water be carried? How much does it even weigh? Wisdom says, well, one gallon of water weighs 8.3 pounds. If your field is one square mile, then you will need about 206 million gallons of water. 206 million gallons of water. Do you know how much that weighs? One billion six hundred and fifty million five hundred and one thousand two hundred and eighty pounds of water. One point six billion pounds of water. That's how much you need for your one square mile field. That's the water that's going to be carried from the Mediterranean to water your crops. What? That's insane. I mean, that's ins I can't even fathom how heavy that is. And this water is going to go from the Mediterranean up into the sky and then go a few hundred miles to my field? That's crazy. How will it get there? Wisdom says evaporation. It's going to kind of sort of stop being water so that it can go up and then it will move over and then it'll become water again through condensation. 
what do you even say? Oh, wait, no, do you know what? I know what to say. The Mediterranean has salt water in it. That is going to destroy my crops. Salt water. What about the salt? Wisdom says, oh, no, don't worry about it. The salt will be taken out. The sky will pick up a billion pounds of water and take out the salt and then carry it a few hundred miles and then dump it on your field. Wait, wait, dump it? It's going to dump 1.6 billion pounds of water onto my field? That's not going to go well. Oh, no, wisdom says. The billion pounds of water, it's just going to come down from the sky in little drops. That's the wisdom of God in rainfall. This is the difference that wisdom makes in sustaining creation. If God's wisdom establishes and sustains creation in ways we barely recognize and hardly understand and have difficulty even fathoming, what a comfort God's wisdom should be to us today. Because the, the wisdom of God that drops down dew from the sky is the wisdom of God that sustains you and me today. But God's wisdom is not just a comfort today. Wisdom makes all the difference for our future as well. This is our third heading, the difference wisdom makes for the future. Without wisdom, we have everything to fear. But let's look at what verse 20, verses 21 through 26 tell us about the difference wisdom makes for how we think about our future. The father says, verse 21, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Now, reflecting on wisdom's difference in creation draws the teacher's attention to how much we can't control. How much we face that can confuse us, that can scare us, that can cause us to doubt. But wisdom positions us to receive God's grace, not just today, but even as we look ahead to tomorrow. When we've received God's grace, we can walk on our way securely, knowing that God is in control of all things, knowing that He works all things according to the counsel of His will. So, you can sleep peacefully. You don't need to be afraid of the dark. You don't need to fear what will happen when you can't do anything. Can you do anything when you're asleep? No, you can't do anything when you're asleep. God is the one who, by His wisdom, is holding all things together, who, by His wisdom, is working. When you sleep, He does not sleep. So when you know God's wisdom, when you sleep, your sleep will be sweet. Now, none of this is a promise that nothing bad will ever happen. We know by experience that this is not how how life works. Bad things do happen. Even more than that, we know through God's word that this is not how life works. When the psalmist says in Psalm 112 verse 7 that the righteous one is not afraid of bad news, He is saying that bad news will come. 
The righteous just don't need to fear it. This is similar to verses 25 and 26. The command is, do not be afraid. And the situation not to be afraid in, did you notice that? Verse 25, it's of sudden terror. You can't expect sudden terror. That's what makes it sudden. It's a surprise. It comes when we don't expect it. I don't like sudden terror. I don't think you like sudden terror either. I'm not looking forward or, or looking around for sudden terror. So why should I not be afraid? Because the Lord will be your confidence. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we need not be afraid because our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So we trust him with all our hearts. We desire his presence in all our ways. We lay hold of wisdom. We receive God's grace both today and as we look to tomorrow. Wisdom makes all the difference for our future. But the father still has more to teach his son. Now last week, John helped us with the question that Proverbs 3-4 brings to us. How do we find favor and good success with God and man? That was the, the statement. Verse 4, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. But how? In other words, the question might be asked, what makes our relationships with God and others work? How do we do well in our relationships? And last week we considered our relationship with God, how wisdom shapes our relationship with God. And here at the close of Proverbs 3, the father turns his attention to the difference that wisdom makes in our relationships with our neighbors. So this is the fourth heading, the difference wisdom makes for our relationships with one another. Look at verse, beginning verse 27, we're going to read to verse 35. Do not withhold good, from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor, who dwells trustingly beside you. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is describing the difference that wisdom makes in our relationships with one another. Without wisdom, our relationships are marked by and will end in death. But with wisdom, our relationships are marked by and will result in life. Now we might summarize the, the teaching of the first section of Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12, with the greatest commandment. What the Father is teaching His Son is that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. It's about loving the Lord. 
The teaching of the close of Proverbs 3 could be summarized like the second great commandment that Jesus mentions. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've described wisdom as living in harmony with God's order. And if we were to walk according to wisdom, then not only must we relate to God according to his order, we must also relate to others according to his order. And the Father directs his attention to how we relate to neighbors. Now a neighbor is not only referring to those who live close to us, but it's far broader and it encompasses all those who we have any kind of relationship with. So classmates and coaches, co-workers and bosses, siblings, parents, children, friends, it's everyone around you. And the difference wisdom makes in relationships is that it produces a community of life amidst a world of death. Now the Father begins by teaching that life-giving community happens when we help our neighbors. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do so. This is a remarkable verse and it makes significant claims upon our lives. You may have a little note in your Bible saying that another translation of this verse is to not withhold good from its owners. So to whom it is due, from its owners. What does that mean? Well, this verse is teaching that the good that we can do to others, whether it be helping others practically or financially or physically, whatever you can think of, the good that we can do, the help that we can offer to others, is just giving them what they are due. It's what we owe our neighbors. It's what they own. They own the good that we do. Notice that we are not called to give what we do not have. It's important to note that. We're not called to give what we cannot give, but when it is in our power, wisdom calls us to help those in need. A few years back, I had an extra set of golf clubs, and I was talking with my neighbor who lived behind me, and I found out that he was interested in learning to play golf. Now, if my neighbor that night came into my garage and took that set of golf clubs, that would have been stealing. It would have been wrong. But what this verse is saying is that I should not withhold any good from my neighbor. There's this sense that I owe it to my neighbor to give him those golf clubs. What this verse is saying is that, you know, he needs them, he owns them. It was in my power to help him, and so he owns that good that I can do to him. So just give him the clubs. The point is this. We can sin against those around us, not just through doing something bad to them taking something, arguing with them, hitting your sibling, saying something awful to someone else. Those are all sins, all bad things. We can also sin by not giving others the good that we can give. Some theologians describe this as sins of commission, things that we do, and sins of omission, things that we don't do that we should do. And I want to briefly speak to the children here. You may be sitting here thinking that, you know what, like, I don't have that much to give to others. I don't have an extra set of golf clubs. I don't have a car. I don't have a lot of money. Like, I don't have a lot of things to give. But what do you have that you can give? Do you know? I want to say two things. Kind words and kind acts. 
Those are two things that are in your power to give at any time. And the same goes for the adults too. It's always in your power to speak words that are kind to others. Always in your power to do that. To build up others. To encourage others. So don't withhold kind words. That means that you should say them. Give them generously and frequently. Speak kind words to one another. It's also in your power to do kind things to others. Maybe it's helping your mom with cleaning up from dinner, or maybe it's helping your sister clean up a room where she made the mess. I don't know about your house, but I hear this a lot in my house. Can you clean up that room? I didn't make that mess. What a kind act would do would be, yeah, I know I didn't make that mess, but right now it's in my power to give kindness to my brother, to my sister. So I'm going to go help. It's in your power to give yourself to serve those around you. That's true for the children here. That's true for every one of us. So do not withhold love. Do not withhold help. Do not withhold kindness from others. That's what verse 27 is telling us. Verse, it's telling us to help others often. And then verse 28, you know what it tells us? Help others immediately. Don't wait to show kindness. Don't wait to encourage others. Don't think, I'll do it tomorrow. Do it immediately. Don't think, oh, I'll do it when they do something for me. Do it immediately. And Grace Church, I'm grateful to God because I see this in you all. This typifies our life together as we serve one another, as we help meet the needs of those around us. There are many examples that come to my mind right now of people seeing needs and meeting them. And this is one of the reasons I'm grateful to God for the deacons that he's given us in Grace Church. These are men who lead us in meeting these needs, in connecting needs with people who can meet those needs. And what a gift that is to have these men leading the way in that. Something we're all called to be showing to one another. And it's a gift to be able to do that together. But walking in this wisdom is not something that we just accidentally fall into. Walking in this selfless and generous love is how we respond to the grace of the gospel. Because this is how God has dealt with us. He is the giver of every good gift who has given himself for our salvation. He did not withhold good from us. So let us continue to walk in the goodness of his wisdom as we serve and love those around us. That's the difference that, that wisdom makes as we help one another. Verses 27 and 28, the Father's focused on, on how wisdom encourages us to help our neighbors. Verses 29 and 30 call us to protect our neighbors, to protect those around us. And the Father highlights trust as the necessary component for life-giving community. These verses say, do not plan evil. Do not argue for no reason. Dwell trustingly with one another. Dwell trustingly with one another. I was talking to my, two of my kids on the, on the drive-in, and I was just thinking about the fact that, like, wow, if I didn't trust other drivers, it would be really hard to get anywhere. And driving is just one example amidst all the times that we complain about those driving around us, or other drivers complain about us driving around them, because it goes both ways. We have, to, we have to dwell trustingly with one another. 
When I'm driving down a two-lane road going 45 or 50 miles an hour and there's a car going the opposite direction only a few feet away, I don't flinch. I don't think, oh no, what if they swerve over and run into me? I mean, I have that, might have that passing thought every now and then, but I don't think it's actually going to happen. Whereas when I see a deer on the side of the road that I'm approaching, a deer, I don't, I don't dwell trustingly with that deer. <laughs> I have no idea what that deer is going to do. But I trust the car that could kill me going down the other side of the road. We must dwell trustingly with one another. I think this is one of the sad experiences of so many of our, our neighborhoods. We don't dwell trustingly with one another. We don't take the time to get to know those around us, to ask questions about their lives, to care about them, to serve them. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people that live next to you or behind you or in front of you, across the street, down the road? Do you know these people? Instead, we are often just quick to assume the worst about others. We're quick to think that so-and-so just thinks about themselves. That's why they always park their car here or so-and-so hates me. And so we see communities and families torn apart by backstabbing and gossip, by arguments and evil. But wisdom says to protect our communities, to protect our neighbors, to protect those around you, and to dwell trustingly with one another. Not with no discernment. This is not just blind trust. This is wise trust. We are to call, called to dwell trustingly with one another in wisdom. And this wisdom becomes more clear with the final lesson of the Father. Wisdom tells us to help those in need, tells us to protect others, and then it tells us to avoid those who are violent. Avoid those who are violent. It can be all too easy to be tempted to look around the success of violent people. And violence isn't just something that's, that's physical, but it comes from an attitude of entitlement that insists on one's own way, that insists that all things should go according to one's own desires. And we see how these people, they seem to get their way. They seem to have what they want often. But wisdom teaches us not to envy them, to avoid them and their ways. Why? Why should we avoid their ways? Why should we not envy them? Because they are an abomination to the Lord. It's better to be poor and oppressed than to be successful in the world's eyes and opposed by God. Those who walk according to wisdom, who walk in the fear of the Lord, they're the ones who are in God's confidence. They're the ones that verse 33 tells us the Lord blesses. Look at the end of verse 32 and verse 33. The upright are in his confidence. He blesses, the Lord blesses the dwelling of the righteous. What a wonderful promise that is. But you might say, hold on. I'm not righteous. And if you're thinking that, you're exactly right. You have been devious in your ways. You have envied the violent. You've agreed, argued with your neighbor for no reason. You've delayed and withheld doing good. I've done that. You've done that. I'm not righteous. None of us are righteous. No. We are not righteous, but there is hope for sinners. And verses 34 and 35 point us to that hope. These verses bring the Father's lesson to its conclusion, and here we see where grace is truly found. 
Toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. You might be more familiar with how the New Testament quotes this verse. We come across it in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5. See if it sounds familiar. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yes, you are not righteous. But do you want to position yourself to receive God's favor? Do you want to find grace? Then walk in humility. Walk in humility before God and others. Trust in Him. Lean on Him. Acknowledge Him. In Isaiah 66, 2, the Lord declares that this is the one to whom He will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at His word. This is the one who receives His grace. The one who will inherit honor. Who is the wise? They are the humble who submit to God and His ways, who live in harmony with His order. It's when we stop relying on ourselves, when we stop trying to save ourselves, when we stop trying to do it all ourselves, that we can then truly live, that we can then be blessed. Just like there is no life without the Son, there really is no life without the Son. Jesus Christ, who is wisdom of God. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, because of what he has done, we have hope. Because of what He has done, we have a future. Because of what He has done, we can walk in the goodness of life in Him. We can walk in wisdom. He indeed has fully paid for all our sins with His precious blood. Now we can enjoy the life that He gives us. Let's pray together. Father, You sent Your Son to bear our sins. While we were unrighteous, He was righteous. And because He took our place, you count, for all those who place their faith in you, you count His righteousness as our righteousness. And this opens the door to being able to lay hold of this gift of eternal life, to lay hold of this tree of life, to enjoy the blessed and flourishing life that comes in living according to your will and your ways. Would you help us to do that, Lord? Would you help us to trust in you? Would you help us to not walk in fear of what may come, but trust your sovereign hand which establishes creation and sustains it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.